Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. We have to have the wisdom to know when to focus on execution and, and when we should be looking around for, for new ideas or additional inspiration. And so a mantra that I like to sort of remind myself about is that it is really important to be aware where you are in the cycle, because sometimes you want to be in heads up mode where you're looking around for new ideas, new inspiration, new connections, new possibilities. That's how we fuel ourselves. If we don't ever do that, then we're going to stagnate. Sure. But we also need to, to learn when to, t- you know, when we got something good, we can't keep looking around. We need to go into heads down mode and execute. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, Episode 67. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dory Clark. Dory is a top communication coach and keynote speaker and teaches for the Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. She's an author of Entrepreneurial You, which was named um, one of the Forbes top five business books of the year, as well as Reinventing You and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, Dory has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. Dory, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm really stoked. You know, there are people who I'm willing to wait to, to, get, them on, uh, to get them on the show, and uh, you are one of them. You know, I've been after you for a while, so to speak, to make sure that you did join Lead to Succeed. I'm delighted that you're here. I've been hearing about you for a really long time, reading your stuff. And just, you know, as a coach myself, I'm very inspired by your work and certainly one of the people that I model myself after in trying to grow my own business and really making an impact. So thank you. No, thank you for being here. And I understand you have another book coming on the way. So maybe take a moment, just tell us a little bit about that one if you can. And then I want to jump into the topic of re, uh, reimagining oneself because that's, that's, to me, that speaks, you know, really clear. So we'll, we'll get there in a second. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, it is true. I have a new book that's coming out in September from Harvard Business Review Press called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. So I'm, I'm really excited. I've been turning these ideas around in my mind for a long time. And I think the, the pandemic made a lot of people consider and reconsider what they wanted their lives to look like. So uh, long-term thinking and, and taking a strategic view is something I think is perhaps even more important now than ever. So I'm nice. excited for it to, to get out and to come to fruition. Oh, yes. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of space for people to be thinking in those terms. That's really neat. So maybe we can come back to that also. But tell me a bit about, you know, this concept of self-reinvention as you understand it. You know, for those who've been listening to me for a while, they know that I'm a former school leader, former classroom teacher, school leader. I moved into the coaching and consulting space when I still didn't really know the difference between what a coach versus a consultant actually do. Uh, Now I do, by the way. Um, But I was like that raw, that new, that kind of like wet behind the ears, trying to make a difference in leadership. 
And I needed to reinvent pretty much on the fly based on my circumstances. I hung a shingle, created a website, boom, here I was, coach, no training, no real anything, I'm out there. And so I can totally relate to the concept of reimagination and reinvention. Curious to get your take on it. What does it mean to you? And how do you help other people do it um, and make transformations in their life? Yeah, I, I love I love that story. And it's I, I think a lot of people these days can relate to it. I mean, so many of us have changed careers once or, or even multiple times. And in that moment, it can be so so exciting and also a little bit terrifying because yeah. we're we're just moving into really uncharted waters. And so that was part of the impulse of writing my first book, Reinventing You. Um, what I've come to understand is fundamentally there's there's two different kinds of reinvention, right? There's there's the the voluntary reinvention where you're moving towards something, you're excited, you're like, all right, I'm gonna go do this. Right. And then there's the involuntary where it's like, oh, I have to do this. I can't do this thing anymore. I have to find something else. Sure. And that can be a little traumatic. Uh, and that was actually the starting point for me very early in my career, literally my first job out of graduate school. I was a newspaper reporter and I rather unceremoniously got dumped. I got mm. uh, laid off from that job with you know, no notice. You know, they, they sent me home that afternoon. They gave me a week's pay and wow. uh, marched me out the door. And it turned out that all this happened on September 10th, 2001. So I began wow. my job search September 11th. Um, it was a rather inauspicious time to be looking for a job. So it, sure. uh, it definitely made an imprint on me. Sure. That is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, we're already sharing. I'm just going to pull this one down also when I wrote this one, becoming the new boss. So, you know, part of it is really the outgrowth of, you know, sometimes you find yourself in a leadership position and you don't necessarily plan on it or you're thinking about it, but you don't necessarily know how to get there. So it's really a matter of going through certain processes, I guess, to help you identify what does it really mean to be a leader? How do you rise up from amongst others and, and, and take a leadership role? And then, of course, how do you make sure that you have sustained success? Because leadership, there's so much churn, so much turnover, which is what I experienced myself. So just curious, let's go a little bit deeper then. So you have this scenario, you're unceremoniously dumped, as you say, you're looking for something new. I'm imagining that you shifted at that point career-wise away from journalism. Is that correct? I did. Although one of the things that um, that was was interesting, I mean, I, of course, when you're in the midst of this scenario, you don't really have a lot of perspective. You're just sort of swimming and you know paddling and, and trying to to figure out the next thing and that was part of what motivated me later on to want to write yeah. this book so that other people would be just better equipped and have the opportunity to um to not have to make every mistake and, and be reinventing the wheel but so one of the the interesting things that i experienced was i didn't want to let go um, mm -hmm. i knew i couldn't have this job of course that i had been laid off from but i wanted to stay in journalism and I ended up for, you know, for months uh, trying to get other jobs, but the, the industry was collapsing and nobody had jobs, nobody was offering it. And I had this kind of seminal moment where I was offered a different job. I had been a political reporter and one of the guys that I knew that I often interviewed uh, and got quotes from was a political consultant. And so I had been out of work for about six months 
and he reached and he knew this and he reached out to me and he said, Hey, I have a candidate that's running for governor. Um, we need a press secretary. Would you be interested in being the press secretary? And my first thought within literally, this is what I said to him on the phone. I said, Oh, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me, but no, no. I mean, I'm a journalist. I don't want to go into politics. And I hung up the phone and for about an hour, I just sat there thinking about it. And I realized like, what are you doing? There's no jobs in journalism. You've yep. been trying. No one's hiring. Like, are you an idiot? You should probably take this job. Go for so it. I, I called him back and I said, actually, no, I, I would, I would be interested. And I, that's how I ended up shifting into doing politics. But I've come to realize that, you know, there's some quirks in the, in the human situation of reinvention. And one of them is that, uh, we, we often are very reluctant to let go even when we should. And so learning to get through that process and to work through it is one of the nuances that I cover in reinventing you. I love it because again, coming back to my experience, not that this is about me, this is, this is your conversation, but um, nonetheless, when I, I was in a position also where I was unceremoniously dumped, let's call it, or at least was not renewed. And so at the point of time, I had two choices in front of me. I could do what I always knew to do, which was pursue school leadership in a different place, different capacity, or make this shift completely. And I wasn't sure. I actually followed both paths simultaneously. So I'm like, interviewing, looking for opportunities, and simultaneously trying to figure out what could a career in coaching look like. And thankfully, this, this latter path opened up for me. For you, know, you could say the other one didn't, which sort of out of necessity pushed me this way, but that's where I've been ever since. I think so oftentimes it's circumstance that drives us. Like you said, you were out of work for six months and you just needed something. You want to get back into the game and whatever. And that kind of forges your new path as well. But at the same time, keeping things open, having a growth mindset, recognizing that we're not only capable of this particular outcome or this particular skill set, I think is a critical way of thinking. So practically speaking, how do you guide people to reimagine, to reinvent themselves? Like, what does that look like for an average client of yours? And what, is, what are elements of the process that you will take them through so that they can come out on the other side? with efficacy, with confidence, you know, really ready to uh, take, take, take pr not pride, not just pride, but really take the bull by the horns and make this new career, you know, super successful. Yeah. One of the things that I learned in the, in the course of writing Reinventing You, which, you know, it, it the topic of the book was sparked by my own experience, but what I ended up doing as a way of really immersing myself so that I would learn what it took was I interviewed uh, just dozens and dozens of successful professionals who had reinvented themselves so that I could ideally uh, understand the principles behind what they did and then reverse engineer it and present it as a framework that other people could use so that hopefully they just had more guidance. And during a potentially <laughs> traumatic time or sure. maybe an exciting time, but they, they would at least have a pathway that they could follow. And what I came to understand is that fundamentally the reinvention process has three major steps, three key components. The first one is getting a clear handle on where you are now. So it's all about understanding your current brand. How are you perceived now? What do people think of you? What do you know when, when they're sort of casually imagining what you're capable of? What do they think now? The second part is the kind of more visionary part where you are creating that picture of where you want to be and what that looks like. And that enables you to essentially triangulate and to understand, okay, 
if here's where I am, here's where I want to go. Now I can work backwards and I can understand, you know, what is the distance? Um, do I need new training? Do I need new skills? Um, maybe you don't, maybe it's just a question of shifting perception. Maybe you need a different network if you want to be going into a new field. So how can I meet more people in this region or in this industry or whatever, but it kind of gives you an action plan. Sure. And then the, the final step um, which I think is important to mention because a lot of times people think of reinvention as sort of a one-time thing, like, oh, you know, I'm making a career shift and then that's it. Um, it's true that there are oftentimes some big reinventions that people go through, but in general, I like to suggest that reinvention is kind of an ongoing process because the truth is you are constantly meeting new people. You are constantly uh, making connections and showing people who you are. And so the third part is what I call living out your brand because it's really just being cognizant on an ongoing basis about the messages that you're sending to people about who you are and what you do and where you're going. Yeah, I love it. And that last part in particular, the concept of living out, you know, I often think of Dan Pink and to, to sell as human they did, they were constantly interacting. And I find so often that people who I interact with, uh, you know, at one point in time may not be ready to work with me, may not be interested in my services or whatever it might be, but a year, two years, five years, even beyond now that I'm in it for longer, they're circling back or I'm reconnecting with them. And now all of a sudden there's a readiness to it. And I think that oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to hang my shingle. I'm going to post some things on social media. I'm going to let the world know that I've shifted and hope let's let's hope for the best but it's an ongoing process it's ongoing for them but i think it's also ongoing for you because it's not necessarily so comfortable or natural at the beginning and so you almost have to talk yourself through this regularly and kind of coach yourself up as you become this new individual so that people will know like and trust you and build relationship over time so it's more of a marathon than a sprint is what i found absolutely so true these are really neat. So it's very hard for me to have a conversation with any great leader and not talk about um, the, the F word as in failure, because, you know, we often project the, the, the glory on the other side, you know, keynote speaker, um, professor, best-selling author, but there's always a story behind it, right? There's always an element that people don't see. Right. The Instagram version of life is it seems to be just glorious and wonderful, but there's so much behind it that oftentimes gets lost. And so people lose confidence in their ability to get there because they hit up against resistance and they don't realize why. Now, interesting, as far as I understood from your bio, you had a lot of initial success, right? You were in school early, you were getting your master's degree at the age of 20, if I got that right. You were really, really succeeding. And then you hit up against this big wall. So talk us through how you kind of managed through the failure piece in particular, especially when you were, were if I'm understanding it correctly, we're used to a lot of success prior to that and how you push through to the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So certainly in my, in my 20s, as I was kind of finding my way professionally, I definitely hit a lot of brick walls. Uh, the first one was actually even, even before becoming a journalist and then getting laid off as a journalist. My initial career goal was I wanted to be a professor. I, you know, I, I liked school. I was good at school. I thought, ah, oh, let's let's keep this going. This is great. Sure. I like reading. I like <clears throat> ideas. So I got my master's degree and I applied 
for um, doctoral work. And I applied to three different schools, uh, which I guess in retrospect was not enough uh, because I got turned down by all of them, every single mm. one. And it literally just had not occurred to me that this was a possibility. I thought, you know, I didn't necessarily think I'd get into all of them, but I was like, of course, I'm going to get into one. Sure. Nope, got into zero. Um, so that is how I had to sort of scramble and say, oh, what else can I do? And I settled on journalism because similarly, you know, it's writing, it's ideas. I thought, okay, you know, this, this could work. And I do it for a year. I get laid off. I can't get hired anywhere else. All right. So, you know, you just kind of keep scrambling. And eventually I did take the job working for the political candidate uh, who was running for governor. He lost. Uh, I got a job working for a presidential candidate doing communications. He lost. <laughs> so it was just not a, not a good run for a while. Wow. And uh, it was, it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of no's that's for sure. Mm. Mm. So then, so, so talk me through then what got you through this and what, what did, what was the self-talk? What was the process? to take you over the hump and to achieve the, the success that you've been able to achieve? Well, I think there's probably two components. I mean, the, the first one, frankly, was necessity uh, because I, you know, when I lost my job as a journalist, I mean, I was not, I was not making a lot of money. I was making, I think, it was either twenty six or twenty eight thousand dollars a year for full time work. Uh, so you know, it was I was not exactly living large. I had this little tiny studio apartment, but nonetheless, I had bills that I had to pay. Sure. And uh, you know, I knew, of course, I was not going to literally end up homeless uh, because, thankfully, I have a nice family. But uh, was there a real possibility that I would have to give up my apartment and like go back? to North Carolina and live in, you know, my old bedroom, maybe. And that was something that I absolutely could not tolerate because I really hated where I grew up. <laughs> so I, I, I felt a great sense of urgency about needing to scrap and to find something. So honestly, I just, I felt like I couldn't wallow. And so almost immediately, you know, <laughs> as, as soon as uh, the, the debris from 9-11 cleared, I, uh, I just went out and hustled and tried to get freelance writing assignments. And I was, I was really relentless. I was calling everyone. I was pitching everyone. And freelance writing, I mean, frankly, it's great training for life because it is, it is very much a business where you are rewarded directly for the quality of your ideas and the quality of your work. If you come up with a good idea, they will buy it. If, uh, if your article or your idea is not good, they won't. So it's immediate feedback. And uh, I, I just, I threw myself into it because I felt that I had to, that was the mm. first thing was necessity. And then the second thing was, uh, you know, and I, th I think this is uh, a part where, you know, unfortunately a lot of people, um, you know, oftentimes because of their family or whatever, they, when they get negative feedback, it really kind of gets in and it burrows and they, they think, oh, well, you know, gosh, maybe it's true. Maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe, you know, maybe I can't do it. And, uh, you know, whether it's a personality trait, whether it was because, you know, I had a very encouraging mama, uh, I'm not really sure, but, um, I, I had a strong belief that, you know, I knew I could do a good job because I, I think a problem that a lot of people have is they look at the, the best exemplar in their field and they say, oh, why can't I speak as well as Brene Brown? Why can't I write as well as Hemingway? Well, yeah, I mean, neither can I. Okay. But what you need to be doing is look at the worst one. 
What you need to be doing is say, look at that jackass. How did he get in the New York Times? I guess I could do that. I can definitely do better than that. So I I, I think we're looking at the wrong targets. Look at the worst one and say, yeah, I could definitely do better. Yep. That helped me with my coaching, by the way, as well. I, I love the, I love the relentless piece. I love the, the, the idea of, you know, acting out of necessity. I think Tony Robbins says we don't get our shoulds, but we get our musts. So if we must eat, right, if we must pay the bills, then we, then we take action. So that's a critical piece of it. And I like the idea that, uh, you know, when you're thinking about the feedback and getting it and, you know, what are you doing with it? Because so often we wallow in self-pity and we say, woe is me, you know, they don't like me or whatever. And then just get stuck in this mode of blame and finger pointing and it's other, everyone else's fault. We need to own, right? We need to own our lives. We need to own our careers. We need to own our purpose. And I don't think anyone can take that from us. So, so that was really, really neat. So I, I want to get back to what you said earlier about playing the long game, because I'm very intrigued by that, your new book and, and the concepts of thinking long-term. Um, are we talking strategy? Are we talking purpose? Take, take me through a little bit more. Who's the ideal reader of the book? And what is the key? I, I, I don't want you to give, you know, give away the, the, the secrets here if, if, you, if you want to hold them closer for now, but maybe some key pieces about what a long-term strategy would include and why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. So I can certainly tell you why I wrote the book. Over the past five years, I have spent a lot of time uh, developing an online course and community called Recognized Expert. And about 600 people have been through it now. Nice. And they are, you know, professionals. They are folks who, you know, work in corporations. They are coaches. They're consultants. And the goal that they have, they're, you know, they're smart people. They want their ideas to be heard more in the world. They want to grow their platform. They want to grow their ability to make an impact. And so I've worked really closely with this great community of, of folks. And one of the things that I saw over and over again, and I recognized it intimately because I certainly felt this a lot early in my career, is we all, like everybody knows, we've been told a million times, there's no such thing as overnight success, right? And like mm-hmm. everybody knows that. But the problem is that everybody knows that, but nobody has any idea. Nobody tells you anything about how long success actually takes. Mm-hmm. It's not overnight, but what is it? We don't right. know. And so- Consequently, there are just huge gaps in people's expectations and understanding of how much effort, how much length, how much, you know, what is the duration that is required to get where we want to go. And I have seen so many people give up too early because they feel like, oh, you know, whatever I'm doing, it's not working, blah, blah, blah. And so they give up, they go do something else. The truth is, it is really, really hard in the moment to tell the difference between it's not working and it's not working yet. And I wanted to write a book that helps people understand how to contextualize that difference so that they can keep going and have the strength to persevere, even when something feels like it's taking forever, when it's boring, when it's hard, when it's annoying, because doing that is often what can make the critical difference to get you on the other side of it, to open up a huge gap between yourself and the competition. Nice. I, I can so relate to this. You know, I, I, like I told you, when I transitioned, I went after a doctorate right away. I got my website. I got my, my business, all, all the stuff, all the, all the paraphernalia one would typically think. I wrote my book, you know, I'm out on social media for the first time in my life. And I'm thinking, when is it going to start happening? Right. When is that transition going to occur? And it does take time. 
And I think people oftentimes don't realize that Napoleon Hill writes about this. I forget exactly the name, but some guy who went digging for gold, I believe it was, and had all this information and was digging, 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 no success. Eventually goes home empty handed with his son, whatever it was. And some guy buys the machinery for a couple of hundred bucks, you know, whatever it was at the time, finds an expert says, oh, they just dug a wrong, they, they dug a wrong, the wrong plate. Or they were just like, you know, X number of feet or miles, whatever it was a small distance away from where the real treasure was. And the guy went digging and found it because the other one just didn't stick it out a little bit longer. Yeah. These are, these are really wonderful, Dory. Thank you. So um, I want to ask you one more thing before we transition. And that relates to something that's near and dear to my heart, because I'm very focused on productivity. So I work with people, school leaders, other leaders all the time on the topics of productivity, group coaching, et cetera, because we all feel swamped, right? We're having such a hard time keeping up with our to-do list, getting more done. You're a doer, right? So you've got a lot going on, all the stuff you described and probably a lot more. Um, What are your keys to being productive? Like what were the main things that you would tell someone who's struggling to get a lot accomplished, that if they focus on these couple of things in particular could really be difference makers for them. One of the strategies that has been the most helpful for me, and it, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy because you really have to aggressively carve this out. Nobody, nobody's going to do it for you. Um, but I am a big fan of a concept that Paul Graham, who's the founder of the Silicon Valley Accelerator Y Combinator, put forward. And that is the concept of what he calls manager days and maker days. Mm. And the manager day is the kind of day that probably most of us have in general, where it's like, it's a 30 minute meeting and then a, and then a 15 minute break and then a 45 minute meeting. And then, oh, look, it's a back to back. It's another meeting. And then there's some email and oh look, it's another meeting. It's just this constant barrage of like, okay, let's move the thing forward. Let's talk, blah, blah, blah. And that has to happen, right? Inevitably, you have to do those kinds of things, but it really impedes your ability to do this, the kind of so-called deep work that is often really important. And, you know, whether that is finishing the report or writing the proposal or working on that book or that article or whatever the meaningful thing is that you're trying to do that keeps getting shunted aside because there's something more urgent. And so I have really tried to be assiduous about clustering my meetings uh, and having the manager day so that I can therefore have the leisure, I guess you could say, even though, you know, you're working, uh, but to have the leisure of having a maker day where it is a big block of unstructured time that enables me to go deep and really concentrate on a big substantive task that I have to do, whether it's okay. You know, for instance, an example uh, might be, oh, look, I have the co- the final copy edits for my book. You don't want to be doing that in 15 minute increments because sure. you need the concentration. You need to be able to, to really pay attention and make sure you're not making mistakes. So I'm going to take a whole day and go through it and read it. So it's careful and it's accurate. Um, it might be writing a chapter of your book or writing an article, uh, but the maker days are, are very powerful. So I like to toggle between the two. So today's a manager day, I take it. Today is a manager day. Okay, that's, that's right. You're, you're, nice. you're not even my only podcast. I, get, I, <laughs> I did a webinar imagine. this morning. I got another podcast. I so can yes. imagine. I can imagine. Um, okay. So, so let's, let's now shift to, um, to what I, I, I love. It's, the, it's my rapid fire. Just a couple of quick questions that I want to put out there. The biggest difference between North Carolina and Manhattan. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give a, you know, a thumbs up, um, for, uh, for North Carolina here. I mean, Manhattan has a lot that North Carolina doesn't, but I think the biggest, the biggest, uh, issue is it's, it's May here as we're recording this and I'm still wearing a jacket in Manhattan. Yes. Uh, I'd be in shorts in North Carolina by now. Okay, cool. Uh, if you had an hour with one person, you would never otherwise meet. Who would it be? Oh, I like that. Um, well, I, I think who I, who I would want to meet just from a, from a silly fangirl perspective is there's a, there's a really a band that I've loved for like 20 years called Tegan and Sarah. I want to meet Tegan and Sarah. Got it. Cool. Right. I forgot you're a musician. Right. And you have done some work with, uh, with production as well, if I'm not mistaken. All right. Last one. If I gave you a billboard in downtown Manhattan, so it's probably a digital one, right? What message would you put on there? Well, I, I am a big animal person. And so in all of my books, you know, starting with reinventing you and through all of them in the acknowledgement section, one of the, the things that I like to put a little plug in, uh, I'm not sure people are necessarily turning to me for oracular wisdom, but just in case they are, uh, what I, what I mention in all my books is uh, a plug to adopt homeless pets. And so I steer people to a, a website. I mean, of course there's local shelters, but you can go to pet finder. Uh, I think it's petfinder.com or petfinder.org. I forget which, but pet finder, uh, is a, a sort of compendium where you can look up regionally, uh, these homeless pets to adopt. And, uh, I adopted two kitties, uh, they are five years old now. And we saw one walking know, behind you earlier. Exactly. So, they like they like to have parades, but you know these are these these are not animals from breeders. You know they're just like two two little cats from the Bronx, and uh -huh. so uh, I I love the idea of people adopting pets. So they're teaching you a good New York accent. I take it they absolutely are. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so let's take a minute for you to tell Lead to Succeed Nation a little bit more about where they could find you what you have going on so that they could really tap in further to the wisdom that you've shared, your experiences and all the good stuff you're up to. I love it, Naftali. Thank you. Sure. Uh, so if folks want to dive in and, and learn more, one of the best places is the new book that we talked about, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And uh, there's actually a free uh, self-assessment, a strategic thinking self-assessment that you can get connected to the book. You can get it at doryclark.com slash the long game. And, uh, and that will hopefully serve you in good stead until the book comes out September 21st. And it's also available for pre-order on Amazon and other wonderful places as well. Awesome. And we're going to hook up all the, or link up all of your, your website, all the social media stuff, because Dory's got a lot really to share all the time. And I would certainly encourage everybody to, to go deeper uh, with you, Dory. And so lastly, before we, before we end, because I know you've got a lot going on, including another recording today, share with us, please, one final pearl of wisdom that we could end our show with. Uh, thank you so much. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I talk about in the new book, in the long game, is a concept that has been impactful for me. And that is the idea of heads up and heads down mode. And I, it was first introduced to me actually uh, by a guy named Jared Kleinert, who I interviewed for my most recent book, Entrepreneurial You. I think for a lot of people who are interested in a lot of things, uh, sometimes it can be very tempting to, you know, sort of have the shiny object syndrome and get, you know, oh, I want to try this. I want to do this. Yeah. But we know, of course, that 
execution is where the difference is really made. And the premise of the long game, as we were discussing, is we have to have the wisdom to know when to focus on execution and, and when we should be looking around for, for new ideas or additional inspiration. And so a mantra that I like to sort of remind myself about is that it is really important to be aware where you are in the cycle, because sometimes you want to be in heads up mode where you're looking around for new ideas, new inspiration, new connections, new possibilities. That's how we fuel ourselves. If we don't ever do that, then we're going to stagnate. Sure. But we also need to, to learn when to, you know, when we got something good, we can't keep looking around. We need to go into heads down mode and execute so that we actually can make the progress that we need. And I think the real wisdom is understanding that a lot of life is and ought to be cyclical. And if we can master that process, we really can get so much farther than we might have imagined. Nice. And what I love about great leadership is that it seeps into the culture. And so when I was in touch with your associate to schedule this, I kept getting the response back. Dory's in heads down mode. She's writing now. She can't be bothered, basically, in a nice way, of course. But that that really seeped into the very uh, nature of the work that you do individually and with your with your team. So uh, I'm glad that you're not just talking the talk, but you're walking it uh, on a daily basis. And uh, I definitely want to give you more opportunity to go heads down because so that you could put out this great content and keep sharing your wisdom. Dory, it's really been a pleasure. I thank you so much uh, for making the time to come on to Lead to, Lead to Succeed. I've been looking forward to, to this moment for a really long time. And, uh, and I thank you so much for being with me today. So glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen.